0: Hello and welcome to Raising Health, where we explore the real challenges and enormous opportunities facing entrepreneurs building the future of health.
1: I'm Olivia, and I'm Chris. Today's episode is with Max Cowett and Aaron Bali. Max co-founded Sprinter Health in 2021 with a mission to engage the unengaged patients who aren't regularly seeing their providers by going to their homes and offering free preventative diagnostic services. Aaron founded Carbon Health in 2017 to build a modern, tech-enabled healthcare experience, starting with a chain of urgent care and primary care clinics. They
0: are joined by Julie Yu, General Partner at A16Z Bio and Health. This is the latest addition to our Digital Health Builder Diary series, which we'll link in the show notes. Max, Aaron, and Julie talk about building in the early days of digital health, especially as Max and Aaron didn't come directly from a healthcare background.
2: My approach was just to make sure I knew what the heck I was talking about when I had conversations with them. So there's a lot of studying, a lot of reading, even going into papers and journals and things like that to make sure that I actually understood deeply the stuff that we were talking about. And I think that created some credibility. Someone derogatorily talked about how in the beginning of our company they said there are some folks that come from tech into uh, healthcare and it looks like they're too guys in a hard drive, and that's exactly not (laughs) what we wanted to be.
1: They also dive deep on how they found product market fit, the KPIs they use to track PMF, and how they've seen the investor landscape change.
2: And I
3: made it forbidden for team to look at other EHRs. I said, if in a product discussion you just give me a screenshot of some other EHR, you're fired. We open a small clinic inside the office to learn what the EHR really should be like. And if we first a the side, which was straightforward, because we were all patients ourselves, right?
1: You're listening to Raising Health from A16Z Bio and Health.
4: So we are here with Max Cohen, CEO of Sprinter Health. Hello. And Aaron Bali, the CEO of Carbon Health. Hey. And this is part of our Digital Health Builders Diaries series. But uh, what's unique about Aaron and Max is that they are c- currently both building in healthcare, obviously, but come to us from outside of healthcare um, and previously have extensive experience building in the tech space. And so this conversation is going to be all about what that transition has been like, what's been a surprise, what's been unintuitive. Where do you guys feel like you have an advantage versus not, et cetera? And hopefully at, uh, end with a note of optimism about why you guys coming into the space at this moment in time is different than some of the prior generations and waves of tech folks coming into our space and trying to disrupt from within. So let's start with your personal journeys, guys. Tell us about. The uh, choice that you made to take the masochistic route of building a company in healthcare after doing it in tech. Max, let's start with you.
2: Sure. So, uh, back in 2010, I was at Google. It actually felt like a little bit of a smaller company because I was at Google in Los Angeles um, and uh, had a few years there. Enjoyed it. Started to get into a little bit of the palace intrigue as the projects got bigger in terms of figuring out how are these uh, going to be budgeted and how are we going to make sure that it doesn't step on anyone's toes. So, started thinking about trying to make a move to a little bit of a smaller company. Um, My wife was uh, seven months pregnant at the time, so I thought, why not go to a startup? Seemed like a good idea. (laughs) Uh, I got to know the uh, founders of Oculus, and uh, what blew me away was they had a very early prototype of a a Samsung Galaxy S4 with a sensor hot glued on the back. And when you put it on your head, it just looked like a phone. You put it into a little holder, and it was playing a, a scene from Shanghai, just kind of like a 360 photo, and in the sky was a clip from Avengers. And it just blew me away by how immersive this was, and I thought, this is something I'd be really interested in doing. It was just such an amazing piece of technology that I decided to go there. So went to Oculus as a vice president of mobile. Company got acquired a month later. Thanks, not at all to me. Uh, <laughs> I was still trying to figure out like what I wanted to order at the cafe. But uh, I got to scale. Uh, a product from zero up to millions of users with the Samsung Gear VR, then the Oculus Go and the Oculus Quest. Um, and so that was incredibly rewarding, incredibly educational. Uh, I really liked working at Facebook, but I just kind of was thinking, I want to do something a little bit more meaningful than ads or games. From the ledger of life, I had been given a lot, I had been gotten a good education, um, I had been working a few places, got lucky with the Oculus acquisition, um, and I had some personal run-ins with health. And so it was something where I felt like I needed to do a little bit more to give back. Uh, and so so I, I took a couple of years trying to figure out the exact details, and uh, eventually kind of went into healthcare from there.
4: Amazing, Aaron. What about you? In
3: 2007, I started Udemy in Turkey first, that Didn't work, like moved to United States, and in the second time was led like the charm. So in, uh, we started Udemy, became a successful company, it's a public now. Uh, but my transition to Udemy was partial from from education to healthcare. It was like really two One as I generally thought education, healthcare, housing are just uh, the problems that were not being solved by themselves. Like It felt like every other area was just automatically getting better, but these three were going worse, if anything, and it felt surprising that there were not as much talent going into these fields. But while I was still the CEO, uh, my mom had this um, just completely unexplained stroke where she couldn't move any part of her body, and I had to take a couple months away from my CEO job and went back to Turkey, my, my sister's a physician, so she, she lined up a series of professors to understand what was happening. So We had thousands of pages of documents printed. Uh, my, my sister's in nuclear medicine, red, like a uh, specialist, like a radiologist, so a specialized radiologist, so she had all the MRIs, PET scans, labs, catalog, organized, and we were going from doctor to doctor to understand what was happening. I'm at that point useless, right? Even though I'm a successful tech entrepreneur, in that case, I have zero value time, mm-hmm. right? But I was just mostly kind of watching it, and one thing I kind of noticed is a lot of the doctors looked at the case in a very similar way, visual in their head. They would take notes, which were very similar. And my question to my sister was like, they all seem to be doing the same thing. Why doesn't the software order work this way? So I made some sketches in 2013, about how I would design a healthcare record system in a way that makes sense to doctors. So I kind of showed it to my sister and her feedback was, she then showed me some kind of case journals and presentations sh- like her friends uh, were making in a kind of case conference, like a specialist uh, conference where physicians share case with each other. I realized like my instincts about how doctors think about this were a lot more aligned because when they share this with each other in a, in a panel, it is a lot more like how I observed them doing it. So then actually made no sense that like the real technology and and how doctors work is just so detached from each other. So I thought like, I just had no idea what the business of healthcare looks like, but I thought if it's like a large enough thing and if I can bring a strong enough technology design edge to it there must be some business to make here
4: in some ways and I think about this as my founder journey too like ignorance to some degree really is bliss right like the thing had I known many of the things that I know now would I have had the same level of conviction to just jump in blind and, and build a company from scratch so in that vein when you look back and you guys are obviously still in the thick of it what are there specific questions that you wish you had asked deeper before jumping in and or people that you wish you had talked to to get their perspective before building what you, you guys are building today?
2: From my perspective, I wish I understood the payer landscape a lot better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Healthcare is just so complex in the sense that with general tech, you have a product. If it's good, you can make money through apps or subscriptions or ads. There's so many ways to do it. There's a lot of VC-backed companies that are all participating in a familiar familiar space there, with healthcare, you've got for-profit and non-profit health systems and payers. You've got patients who are not referred to as consumers, unfortunately. Then you've got providers who are doctors that are making their own decisions. And although I had experience this like everyone does the healthcare system. I wish I had built up a little bit more of a knowledge base around how the the business of healthcare works. But at the same time, I didn't have that healthcare network. And I think that spending some time in advance building that up just from a knowledge perspective, but also from a connections perspective, probably would have been advantageous mm-hmm. if I had to go back and do yeah, this again. This
4: that's a good one. How about you, Aaron?
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, honestly, I look at everything I wish I knew back then. And some of the were things people told me and I just didn't listen. Uh-huh. Right? But there are also a lot of things that people told me that I didn't listen, I'm actually glad I didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of hard to untangle, like, because I, I heard like, the mistakes we did, which we realized like, what, when everybody said you should like, really think about payers as early as possible, like, which we didn't take that advice. Right? And that, was, that turned out to be right advice, but there was like, a lot of bad advice. Right? So a lot of healthcare entrepreneurs, the feedback was just follow the money just like look at like a pocket of spending, some arbitrage and that's how you do the things versus I was a builder, I'm a, I'm a designer, developer, like that's my nature. So I like, I don't like just like following the money and look for arbitrage. I like thinking about what problems are the most like unique and big to solve and try to go after them. So it, it, it is like I get a put sort of takes and, because I, I know this because I take a lot of notes with my meetings. And when I look at my old notes, I was like, "Yeah, people told me that about this thing that I just did wrong like twenty times, and I still ignored that,
4: yeah, again, maybe that was for the better. That's interesting. It's kind of two. you guys have like two sides of the same coin of wanting to or wishing you had known more about payers, and then in your case, maybe having heard about payers, but expressly deciding to not sort of follow some of that advice and, well, and try to go more f- first principles?
2: Well, I think when you work with domain experts, they their first take is often no because. Mm-hmm. And when you work with people that are a little bit more ambitious and new, they'll say yes and. Yeah, and yeah, neither yeah, of those are necessarily how. correct, right? Right. right? But I think that you need to have a balance at your company of folks who have both those attitudes and that's the right way to go. Mm-hmm. And when you're only on one side or the other, it just raises the degree of difficulty. Yeah.
4: Actually, let's jump on that. So this notion of building your team. So you guys, again, probably from your past lives have t- tr- tremendous networks of folks who have had literally exposure to like what best looks like and what great looks like uh, outside of healthcare. And, and then when you come into healthcare, I certainly have this experience. There, there, I think there's a perception that you know, this is an industry that has shitty software, it's super hard to integrate, things take a lot longer, and so sometimes it's hard to actually get people excited about joining this mission, despite the fact that it obviously has so many personal connections to people, as we were just saying. So t- tell us about what your experience has been and what your, what your frameworks are for thinking about attracting the best and brightest tech talent to your yeah. respective companies. And then also how you balance that with bringing in folks with domain expertise from the industry. Yeah, so
3: for for us, um, the early engineering design was easy because of the like network we I already had, but I te- I think because we started from first principles and we were doing a lot of things very differently, whether people thought it was like a dumb or smart, like it was it was definitely interesting way to look at this. So I think we had a lot of actually good luck with people who are fed up with the kind of uh, like usual healthcare efforts. And so hiring was an, actually much less of a problem. There was a lot more investor skepticism, but employees like team really bought into it. So one thing I, I was, that was surprising to me about healthcare is if you're coming on tech tech, like more like pure tech, right? You think of just like operators or McKinsey consultants, etc. like as like this kind of a group of people that you make fun of <laughs> when you're in healthcare you realize this whole word operator is really really important so those like consultants or smart general purpose people are actually really critical i just i never appreciated how much like things like finance and operations really matter uh, until i got deep into healthcare
4: mm-hmm. You just indirectly complimented Max, the ex-McKinsey it's consultant It's funny. As a McKinsey here.
2: consultant, I would take the other view, <laughs> yeah. actually. Uh, I saw a video clip recently of Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, talking about how consultants will never do anything of consequence, and it comes to mind uh, quite often. But from my perspective, uh, my co-founder was an engineering manager, very much on the tech side. So we had two tech people. I'm product, he's engineering. We knew we had to bring a lot of healthcare experience in if we were going to have a shot at making something that could be durable. So we surrounded our, our leadership team was almost exclusively people who came from healthcare. but. But we found it to be really easy to hire in the beginning because it was one room. So we wanted people that still had the industry experience, but were a little bit newer on that. I would say in the middle levels of scaling, it gets a little bit more challenging to hire because now you're a little bit more interchangeable. There's a lot of companies out there that are between 50 to 400 employees. You're now competing with FANG more, but you can't pay FANG rates on things like that. And then I think it gets easier again when you get larger, you have more capital, your equity is priced in a way that makes it a little bit easier. So from the curve of like bringing folks on, I think it's like easy, then challenging, and a little bit easier. If you can keep your team smaller and get more done, you keep your burn lower, gives you more time. There's like so many advantages to that 10 to 15 person company to really find that PMF in the beginning.
4: Wait, how deliberate were you guys about bringing in quote-unquote healthcare people and talk through that first, you know, traditional healthcare hire, someone who's been on the inside and how did you guys win them over? How did you guys convince them to jump on board?
3: I, I was deliberate to in making a mix of startup attacky people and healthcare people together. Uh, so just always kind of think thought about, okay, do we have enough to healthcare experience in this area? And the problem is, like, if you exclusively hire healthcare folks for certain things, uh, in reality, like, the talent pool is not as strong as technology. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that is a reality. But then if you exclusively hire for talent, then you just, like, you lack the experience. And the biggest, I think, challenge non-tech people get in healthcare, like, when I brought them from outside tech to healthcare spaces, also healthcare to healthcare is, they cannot fathom how bad the fundamental infrastructure is. So they always want to believe there's some other higher order problem which is missing, which is like, no, 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 it is actually a fact. <laughs> like it's so bad. you just like, because it's like a 30 year gap in like what they are used to. Like I hired people from FinTech. It's just every time I have to explain to people like, no, it's not that we have to create a magical solution to solve, it's just a basic infrastructure, it's mm-hmm, not that, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you have to solve, like, we work on much simpler problems that, than people usually are used to thinking about, right? So that is actually kind of the, yeah, the overambitious people from tech sometimes get str- struggled because you're just solving some, like, rudimentary, like, connectivity issues.
2: Well, my my approach was just to make sure I knew what the heck I was talking about when I had conversations with them. So there's a lot of studying, a lot of reading, even going into papers and journals and things like that to make sure that I actually understood deeply the stuff that we were talking about. And I think that created some credibility. Someone derogatorily talked about how in in the beginning of our company, they said, there are some folks that come from tech into uh, healthcare, and it looks like they're two guys in a hard drive. And that's exactly (laughs) not what we (laughs) wanted to be.
4: So we've talked already about a couple of things that are sort of downsides of working in this industry, whether it be lack of infrastructure, whether it be speed, whether it be um, desire to embrace innovation, et cetera. What are some examples of things where you've been surprised to the upside about your ability to build a company in this space?
3: I think this cliche about the healthcare, uh, the market is so big. Like you actually don't need to own it all to make it a big business, Mm -hmm. right? If anything, over time, we learn to just like, have a smaller market ambition because even that like any slice is big enough versus my other company like we always kind of had to be conscious about how big the market is right like then also just it's one of those like non-cyclical always there type of problems you don't have to follow trends.
2: Yeah, and along those lines, I think that um, products can actually win in healthcare in terms of the total package. When you build a product that actually creates an ROI for partners, you can get in front of them because they're always looking to improve their operations.
4: So you mentioned earlier, Aaron, that part of the original vision for Carbon was really starting at the EHR layer of how could you build a different clinical workflow that actually mirrors how doctors think versus what we obviously have today, which is largely billing software. And then, you know, Max obviously I've uh, had a front row seat to you guys building um, a really impressive tech. Stack from day one. You guys clearly could, if you wanted to build something, you could. Like that's very clear based on the DNA of your companies. But how? What's been your rubric for what is worth building versus what is worth taking off the shelf versus what is worth integrating with, etc.? Um, how have you guys thought through that? Despite, or I guess, given your superpowers of being able to do it all. For us, the EHR
3: was the the kind of the most, I would say, controversial decision. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, like. EHRs were these things everybody hated, but also everybody had to use, but also people were complaining that they don't want to use any point solution, which is not integrated to their EHR, which means like they were going to use EHR anyways. Like this whole idea that like we have to innovate around the shitty EHRs, but we cannot touch them felt weird to me. It was like, there's one thing that everybody spends all their time that is inherently broken, and nobody else can fix it, and we all have to just like dance around it, just felt silly. I said like, we have to start from this part, right? This is like the most broken, most important piece. And not only we never used an EHR, in the, the way I approached us, I said, okay, we have to build the EHR, right? But I don't want to make a slightly nicer looking version of some other bad software. So we said, the only way to do this is like, from the first principle to understand how, what EHR is, What it does, I actually had no idea what EHRs really looked like, Mm -hmm. right? And I made it forbidden for team to look at other EHRs. I said, if in a product discussion you just take me a screenshot of some other EHR, you're fired. Mm -hmm. We opened a small clinic inside the office to learn what the EHR really should be like. And we first built a patient side, which was was straightforward because we were all patients ourselves, right? So we kind of knew what we wanted as, as consumers. And then we slowly, we, we just would make this like, debates like, what is the prescription? What is the medication? Like, what is lab? Like, what is vital? Like, how do, we, how do doctors think about those things? Like, so we started building like from the inside out. And the last thing we thought about was billing versus just the opposite. Like most companies started like, building software. And then maybe 20 years later, they didn't think about building a patient portal and a, like a charting. We built the patient portal first and then build a chart interface and then really like three years later build the like billing seat, the billing side which i'm glad we did because billing is like so ugly if you start from that we probably wouldn't have enough motivation to build the rest of it i feel like being in having an ehr became sexy again in the last two years <laughs> it was very unsexy first four years or five years mm-hmm.
4: i think because everyone realized what you ultimately realized at the beginning so yeah. Um, How about you, Max?
2: From a tech stack perspective, we went with TypeScript, React, serverless, AWS, very flexible. We can do a lot. Uh, My co-founder's fond of saying, don't build a castle in someone else's kingdom. It's kind of a funny mental image of me. I'm like, but nonetheless, for us, what did that mean? It means the core things like routing, logistics, uh, the patient engagement side, the checklisting, our engagement campaign management. That was all stuff that we had to own so that we could have full flexibility over. But we don't need to build everything, so telephony automation, uh, CRM, uh, uh, the experimentation framework that we use, compliance software. There are lots of good products out there. And uh, so it's, it's always easy as a, company that has a good tech DNA to say, well, we could just build this better. It's funny, we're talking about EHRs right now. I probably had two meetings about that today. Should we build an EHR? Should we buy? And- um, You should buy ours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so this is the type of thing where uh, you wanna make sure that your engineering effort is always gonna be limited just from an opportunity cost perspective, regardless of how big of a company you are. Um, so do the things that are core to what's going to help push your product forward and then buy the things that aren't.
4: Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us about what signal you guys ultimately started to see that proved to you that that was the right decision? Because ultimately, if you're just you know building software in a vacuum, obviously you're not going to know whether it's actually having an impact on the business, but I think you guys are far enough along now where you probably have some KPIs in your mind that are like, okay, this is why we made that investment and how it's manifesting in our competitive advantage. So can you guys share some examples of what that is?
3: Yeah, so for me, like I get the product market fits field from just a random anecdotal events. Like It's not a number or statistics game for me. So we started in 2016, uh, so we spent first 12 months building the patient app and like some rudimentary EHR for providers to see patients, right? And we were seeing 10 visits a day, like in our clinic inside the offices, like next, like as a lab. But anyway, we had no desire to open clinics at that point. It was just meant to be a lab. And there was this uh, physician named Cesar and he owned four urgent care clinics in San Francisco. And he was the official, like early innovator physician in Silicon Valley. Like his, his face was in every digital health startup's homepage as the first customer. He came to our office and he looked at the software once, which was very rudimentary. This is like we were spending three months like working on the EHR only. And he looked at it and said, oh, my God, I want to use this. And he said, I can tell. Like First of all, he said there's 80% of the business functionality just is lacking. We'll have to build a lot to make this viable, to be used in that way, but I can tell you guys have never seen other EHRs. That It, was a good, it felt really original to him, but in a way he liked. He just said, I can tell that you guys start from the patient and provider and just are going deeper, right? So, And he said, we but we stepped down with this team, meaning like one more person, so and we just made a list of like 300 features we were missing. The one thing about EHRs is that the surface area is so big, right? Yeah. And there is no way that really build a good EHR. It's just such a big piece Of development, like it's like a rabbit hole. The more, the more you get into it, like there's no getting out for like six more years, <laughs> right? So, um, so we just kind of it just gives a like lot, long, long list. And in nine months, we like powered through all of those functionalities and had his clinics switch to our EHR, like the the platform we built. So, it was really just like him just kind of seeing even the early prototype and just actually committing is like three, four clinics, like a sizable, like I don't know, like yeah, a five, business. ten million dollar business he owned he just fully invested in our software platform so that I think his um, desire to actually take a bet on this was the biggest uh, like uh, signal for PMF for me.
2: Yeah, for us, it was around, we didn't want to just have differentiation, we wanted to have durable differentiation. And to do that, you have to run good margins. And uh, the only way you can do that is by cutting costs. Obviously, raising prices, you're going to hit a limit somewhere. So you can't rely on just say, oh, people keep on paying us more for the same service. Uh, and so by plugging these pieces together that we had built internally, we actually saw that start to happen, where we saw that, oh, we can actually do more appointments per day, see more patients per month, we can do these types of things, and we can do it more affordably. Um, and that also was a little bit of kind Kind of like the North Star, for let's when we're building this, why? Like, what is this doing? Is this making our lives easier? Is there making our sprinters' lives easier? Is there making our patients' lives easier? Who is this for? And so, I think kind of asking those types of questions led us to say these are the types of things that make sense for us to build versus for us to buy.
4: Mm-hmm. You guys are also um, sort of indirectly uh, conveying a point of view that is near and dear to my heart, which is around can you even get credit as a business for just being a software company in healthcare and you guys are both full stack businesses right now which is you know you have the benefit of a being able to ride existing rails of payment and reimbursement and what and whatnot to actually get paid for your business while also manifesting the benefits of your technology. Do you guys agree with that? And do you feel like there is a viable path? Like, had you started again uh, anew with just the technology layer of what you guys have built and gone to market with that as a, as a product, if that would have achieved the same level of results that you guys are seeing today? So,
2: I wince every time someone in healthcare says IT. <laughs> but that's the—that's that's like a different yeah. way of thinking about the technology parts, and so I think it's really challenging if that's all you can do. Because even if you have a system that were you to sell it to Optum or Centene or someone that could save them hundreds of millions of dollars, how are you going to navigate the? interior infrastructure there to be able to get that in place, to be able to get that live. I think it's really hard to just be on the software side to support other partners. When you are full stack, you might be able to get there later because you have such incontrovertible proof that this really does add value. And so I think that as a secondary thing that can help, but if you start, of course we're biased, right? Because we are full stack, but if you started that route, I think it would be a lot of time trying to find the first couple customers, and then it might fail even if the software solution was perfect, but because of an implementation detail. This is why when we work with partners, we try to avoid EHR implementations. I mean, if you can do it outside of the EHR, it's so much better. Um, I just think that these challenges are not gonna go away in the next 50 years in healthcare because of the way Everyone's constituted.
3: Mm-hmm. I think in uh, my advice generally for healthcare, people the people who want to sell healthcare is deployment in healthcare is a big barrier for any kind of software. I think the uh, like the successful companies are either platforms which are like maybe difficult to deploy, but sh- like cost a lot of money. So you can have this like get like some momentum. Like for example, the actual EHR type of deployment is like it's heavy, it takes at the minimum, two months, like to deploy EHR in a new provider, but but it's like a large budget item, right? But if it is cheap, if your product is cheap, it has to be very fast to deploy. So there's almost like a two by two, like a line that a lot of tools are hard to deploy because they require EHR integration, but they they don't do, they don't have a large utilization utility. So even though it's useful, it's just the customers are not going to pay enough for that to. Uh, to take the like, deployment effort. So I think it's really like the, you have to find kind of sweet spot, fast to deploy, fast to sell. I think this is the place I like the, 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 a lot of tech entrepreneurs like usually our instinct is like, we think, about, we think about a problem and we say, what's the best way to solve this problem? I think the way you have to think about it in healthcare is like, what is a good enough solution that is, just, that, that is going to be fast to deploy?
2: And part of because there's not really this concept of like AI takeoff in healthcare. You don't have a product that just suddenly gets self-installed everywhere and can be absolutely huge. And so you're going to have to go through each individual's needs and their concerns. And that's just going to, again, raise the level of difficulty a little bit.
4: Well, there was, it's called ChatGPT, except all the hospitals shut it off for their employees. So (laughs) they stifled their own opportunity there. Okay. uh, The other dimension that we haven't touched on yet, which is another huge distinction, I think, between sort of tech, traditional tech and healthcare. Health tech is venture capital and fundraising landscape. And so, you know, again, as someone who started a company back in the 2010s era and comparing it today, even now, you know, we all think it's like still very early, but it was nascent, right? 10 years ago, you could count on one hand basically the number of VCs that uh, were investing in it. It was called healthcare IT back then before digital health. And now I think we can all agree that there, there's relative maturity on the early stage VC side. But one thing that we certainly observe and that we're um, doing a ton of work around is what's that next phase, that growth stage market? of of health tech i think that's probably the next um sort of big bastion of opportunity to really grow with the market as all these early stage companies that got funded in the last few years kind of grow up do you think there, there do need to be dedicated investors for this particular sector? Do you think there's benefit to having it just be broader tech that's kind of coming into our space or something different?
2: There's obviously no one-size-fits-all for this. Uh, That's the case for pretty much any question you could ask. But specifically for this, I think that that nascency of the market that you were talking about, there's such a long lag between companies that find PMF and then eventually go public that even though 10, 15 years ago, there were a number of great healthcare companies that have gone to success, there's still not enough of them. And so because of that, you need a little bit more of a leap of faith. And if you're not as comfortable with the subject matter, it's going to be harder to take that leap of faith. I know when I was first starting to investors a few months ago, I had to explain value-based care to some of them, and that's probably not a good fit for someone who would join a future round for us.
3: It's probably a different, like a uni, more unique problem because at Carbon Health, my approach wasn't really innovating in healthcare space. To be honest, it was more like there is like I almost did not want to innovate in the form of care type of care. I just wanted to make the tools and experience a lot better, more like just solve the actual infrastructural problems. So it actually didn't require too much healthcare understanding to just like understand what it is. So I had more like the non-healthcare investors which understood like these things are bad. They're big. That they need to be improved.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to someone recently. We were having a conversation about how do you value companies, and obviously, public market comps are like a you know general way to to think about evaluations. And you know, they made the comment that as it turns out, the best comparables for digital health companies right now are still private. So, just to close this out, let's. Dash a little bit of optimism in this conversation. There's been uh, and a bit of the tarnished view of of tech coming into healthcare has been on the basis of prior generations of entrepreneurs who did come in. What do you guys think is different this time in terms of your ability and your own personal experiences of coming into a space where you had really little to no domain expertise, but have been able to build very complicated businesses in a very complicated industry as quickly as you have. What's different this time?
2: Well, the advantage is with the general tech industry of there's so many tools, there's so many things that can get you up and running. That applies to us too. I Mm -hmm. mean, being able to build out the tech stack that could create actually some differentiation, I think five, 10 years ago, it would have been a lot longer, a lot harder to do that. We were able to do our first kind of rudimentary routing and logistics system in months and get going and seeing patients and getting feedback and learning what worked and what didn't work. So those general tailwinds, I think, are a good thing. The other thing is that there's been so much investment in the digital health and in the technical services side that uh, at least you're not having to explain to these larger partners like what the heck is going on here. There are priors. The other thing here is just that, uh, frankly, healthcare is has become attractive to a number of people who want to make changes. The quality of folks in it, I'm not trying to say the quality was not good before, but just there's so many top quality people that want to commit their lifetime to it. And I do think it's a great time to build. And if you're out there thinking about maybe starting some healthcare, come join and I'll and we'll help you as well.
3: I, I think generally like the talent in healthcare that comes from t- the technology has really like gone up quite a bit mm-hmm. which can create a field where you have other people you can talk to and they some of those people have been successful so they have uh, trust from healthcare operators like so I think like the tech has uh, penetrated in the healthcare space I think again not, not as much as we want not as effective as we want but I, tend, I think it has already penetrated like there are various like VCs who have who are trusted by house systems, but it's a, it's a big market. We are like, we have we are penetrated by 5% and as we can get to 30% eventually. So I actually think for healthcare investing, it's like, it is going to be the golden age the next like decade or so.
4: Love it. The future is bright. Thank you guys for sharing your perspectives. Thank you
2: Thank very you much for
4: hosting us. Awesome.
1: Thank you for listening to Raising Health. Raising Health is hosted and produced by me, Chris Tatiosian, and me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the bio
0: and health team at A16Z. The show is edited by Phil Hegseth. If you want to suggest topics for future shows, you can reach us at RaisingHealth at A16Z.com. Finally, please rate and subscribe to our show. The content here is for informational purposes only should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see A16Z.com disclosures.